goodness, I, uh, Brother Shook, when he called me, he told me that um, he thought Brother Bruce might get to be here. And I was excited. I told my wife, I said, I sure hope he gets to come and maybe he'll get to sing and I won't have to. And that'd be great. And uh, but I love it because not only do you get Brother Bruce when he comes, you get Brother Bruce, you get Andy, you get Opie, you get Barney, you get them all. Amen. So that's, that's great. And uh, I am thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with your pastor, I had no idea he could spit that good. <laughs> I know who not to sit in front of now at church, amen, amen. I said, there's no way I could compete with that. I could not, I could not come close in seed spitting, but I might could come close in speed sitting. I don't know, I guess I might could do that, I don't know. But um, if you will turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. It's been a great day, I'm sure you've had a great time. It looks like you've had a good time. And uh, so I'm going to try to give you a few thoughts before you go into Never Never Land after all those desserts and everything else. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter number 26. You know, when I think about old-fashioned day and pioneer day and things of that nature, one of the things you think of is, you know, my wife loves to get furniture and restore it. You know, take something old and kind of make, bring it updated and make it look new again or nicer and things like that. And I got to thinking, you know, not only do we like to restore things in the physical realm, the Bible says we need sometimes spiritual restoration. You know, in Psalm chapter 23, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And it talks about uh, then uh, leading us beside still waters. But then in verse 3, he says, He restores my soul. And uh, I want to talk about that for a little bit this, uh, this afternoon and, and uh, talk about restoration. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here I sure want to thank you for Brother Shook and his friendship. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing here at Bailey's Grove. And what well, I'm so glad as your people, we're not in competition with one another, but we're so glad for the people who are getting saved in other churches and places where the gospel is being preached. And I just pray you just come down and visit with us today. God, just meet with us. I sure know I need you more than I've ever needed you right now. And I pray that you just put our hearts on your word for a few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure glad that once we're saved, we can never lose our salvation. Amen. The Bible says in John six thirty seven, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. No wise. I like that. If you brought that up to 2022, he'd be saying, no way, Jose. Amen. You're not going to get out of this thing. I'm not going to let you go. And uh, so nothing can change our relationship with Jesus Christ, but sin can affect our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my boys, if they sin against me, it, it'll never change our relationship. I'll always be their father, but it sure can change our fellowship, can it? And, uh, and so we, we cannot have fellowship with Christ when sin is in our life. You know, Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, but he cannot hear. And so what we want to look at today is being restored. God doesn't resave you when you get away from him. You don't need to be resaved, but he wants to restore you. Amen. I'm glad the same hand that rescued you at salvation wants to reclaim you, amen, when you sin and get away. And if there's anyone in the Bible, if there is a poster child, if you will, for restoration, it's got to be the Apostle Peter. It's got to be a man who got so far away from God, he thought maybe there's no way he could ever get back. And I want to look at some things this, this afternoon and maybe some warning signs you might want to look in your own life that maybe you're in need of being restored. I want you to see, number one, we are in need of being restored, number one, when we get too busy in our service. 
Now, in, in Matthew 26, we have the story here where the, uh, the disciples and John says, as, as Peter and John had come to Jesus and said, you know, it's time for us to do the Passover meal. And uh, so what do you want us to do? And, and Jesus said, all right, let's get busy here, go into this city and talk to this man. And they were getting all the arrangements together. And verse number 19 says, and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover. Now I bring this up because the Passover meal was not some quick little, I mean, he wasn't telling them to go fry some chicken nuggets and getting some, you know, uh, you know, uh, some French fries on the side. This wasn't just getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich together. The Passover meal required detailed preparations. Uh, you had to have different traditions and rituals, things that would go into that, into preparing this feast because each part of the Passover feast represented a part of the Passover. And so it was very important that they got everything, all the elements there together. So my point is this. Before Peter needs restoration, understand he was doing right. He was doing what he ought to be doing. He was following the Lord Jesus Christ. He was doing what he was told to do. But we need to understand it is possible to get away from God while doing something for God. We can get away from God even while we're doing something for God. If I spend all my time working and working away from my wife and I spend all this time and say, you know, I'm not at home and but I'm making more money so I can do more things and give her all these things. But can I tell you, doesn't matter how much money I make for her, our marriage is going to suffer because busyness is no substitute for closeness. Busyness is no substitute for for closeness and a danger I think we as Christians can get into is that we can become so busy doing good things that we forget the main thing. And that's maintaining a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Peter, man, he is busy with the physical, but he failed to maintain the spiritual. And it's good to be faithful, man. Thank you that you're here on a Sunday afternoon of all things. Praise the Lord for that. God wants us to be faithful, but he never wants our stewardship to hinder our relationship. And so to everybody else, man, Peter looks great. If you looked at them and said, hey, what do you think about Peter? Is he pretty spiritual? Oh, man, he's spiritual. Man, look at all the things he's doing. Look at all the, all the places he's going. Look at the Passover feast that he's, he's preparing. And, man, he has got to be one of the top-notch guys there. But God knew that just being busy doesn't make you spiritual. And then we're going to see this because here in these few verses in Matthew 26, here Peter is following Christ But in just a few moments, he's going to be forsaking Christ. And so he wasn't doing something bad. He was doing something good. But how many understand you can get drawn away even with good things? I was uh, was doing some research last week. I was preaching on the Lord is my shepherd uh, a couple weeks ago. And I went on Google and was doing some research because that's where you got to go. And so I went on there and I was looking up about sheep and all kind of things, you know, about raising sheep. and, and, And this farmer, the sheep farmer, said something I thought was just really interesting. He said this. He said, it's not always sheep nibbling on wild grass that gets them away from the presence of the shepherd. He said, more times than not, it's even nibbling on good grass. That takes them away from the presence of the shepherd. In other words, they, they find some good grass and the nibble. Then they find some more and the nibble. Then they find some more. And what they don't realize is slowly, inch by inch, uh, ground by ground, is taking them away from the presence of the shepherd. And I think what we don't understand, as Christians, we're aware of the fact that worldly things take us away from the Lord. It's easy for us to identify those and say, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to hang around that crowd. And we can, we can isolate from those things. But the danger is, is our unawareness that perfectly good and legitimate things can also take us away 
from the presence of our Savior. You want an example? Think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Remember that story where Jesus came to Bethany and he's there in their house, one of the favorite places he loved to go. And as soon as he comes in, Mary, man, she's, man, she slides up under the feet of Jesus and she's there listening, hanging on every word that Jesus has to give. But where do we find Martha? We find her every time. We find her always going back into the kitchen. I mean, she was a good cook. I mean, she had the casseroles down pat. If you want her to make a dinner for you, that's where you'd go. She was always, and there's nothing wrong with being in the kitchen Unless Jesus is in the house. That's not the best place to be. Best place to be is under his feet, at his feet. Listening to every word he had to say. And so what we need to understand is there are things sometimes in our life that, uh, that, that, that where God can use, or the devil can use even a good thing that we're doing something. Hey, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm cooking dinner for the Lord. Uh, and yet it takes us away from the presence of the Lord. Now, how do we know that her cooking in the kitchen had become a distraction for her? Here's how we know. Because the Bible says she was cumbered about her serving. That word cumbered means she was weighed down. I mean, she was, she was stressed out. Mm, you know, she was like, oh, I can't handle it anymore. I need some help. Lord, get my sister in here. Uh, we need some help. I got to get some help on these rolls. They're not getting done in time. And the pecan pie is not ready yet. I need some help. What we need to understand is when our service to God becomes more of a burden than a blessing, we've gotten too far away from his presence. When what we're doing for God becomes more of a burden than it is a blessing, we're spending too much time away from the presence of the shepherd. And so, uh, so we need to be restored when we get too busy in our service. Secondly, when we get too prideful in our significance. Look in verse 31. We see another step down for Peter. It says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered. He's always saying something. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Well, we can become prideful when we get to the place where we think that we're not going to fall. We can't fall. Oh, man, I, I'm above Satan's attacks. That's where Peter was. Notice he says, Though all men shall be offended, not me. In other words, he says, I'm better than everybody else. That's what he says. I mean, all the, everybody else will fall before I fall. And Peter, I don't know if maybe it was because he was always around Jesus that he just assumed Satan couldn't get a hold of him. And by the way, be careful. Just because you go to a good, sound, fundamental Bible preaching church doesn't mean the devil can't get to you. Doesn't mean he won't try to ruin you and take you down. He will come after you. So here Jesus, in fact, I think it's over in Luke 22, Jesus turns around and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. You, he's coming after you. He wants to sift you as wheat. Now, if Jesus came to me and he said, Mark, the devil's gunning for you. You got a bullseye on your back. He's coming for you next. That would sober me up. That'd make me aware. I'd be alert, but not Peter. You know, Peter's response was, not me, Lord. Not me, buddy. I'm not going to fall. Amen. First Corinthians 10, 12 says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth. Take heed lest he fall. 
So we're in need of being restored when we get too busy in our service, when we get too prideful in our significance, or number three, when we just get too cold in our spirit. Now looking down in verse number 57, it's getting worse. Verse 57, it says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace. That's interesting. I'll, I'll die for you. But now I'm not even going to go in the same place with you. I'm following afar off in the high priest. I'm going to kind of stay back. I think this might be where the back road Baptist first started. I'm not sure. He said, I'll go in, but I'm going to hang back. And I want to see how everything's going to fall into place. And just see, see the lay of the land before I, before I get too involved in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace. And as damsel came to him, saying, Thou wast with Jesus of Galilee. John's account says that Peter had gotten so far away, he was warming himself by the fire outside. You know what that tells me? If he's warming himself by the fire, he's as cold as they are. He's as cold as they are. You can tell a lot by the company a person keeps, who they're hanging around. So what happened here? Well, what happened, Peter? I mean, man, here you were. At one moment, you were shining in the spotlight. Now you're shivering in the shadows. What's going on? What's happened to you? Well, there's some things, I believe, that caused his cold spirit. First thing is, Peter was blinded. Not physically, but spiritually blinded. He, he lacked discernment sometimes. And we know this because over in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus tells the disciples, the Bible says that now, beginning at this time, he began to tell them that he had to go to Jerusalem and he would be, uh, he would suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees, all of them. He would suffer and be killed and then rise again the third day. So according to Matthew 16, Jesus just told them that. They didn't know this up until now, but now he's given this great revelation. Guys, here's my plan. I know you haven't realized until now. Here's why I'm here. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again. Now, I kind of would want to focus on that last part. You're going to rise again. That's kind of like the best part of it, isn't it? But but that's not Peter, because Peter ain't like that. When, when, as soon as Jesus said that, Peter had to speak up and say, Oh, oh, I got some advice, Lord. I got some advice. And he said, Not so, Lord. Be it not unto you. Oh, no, you don't need to do that. You can't go. And Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because that kind of a rebuke, and the Bible says he was rebuking Jesus. Anybody that rebukes God, that's from the devil. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. He said, Peter, what you don't understand is the very fact of your rebuke. You're wanting to tell me not to do the very thing I came to earth to do is to be crucified. That's what I'm here for. But Peter couldn't see him. He was blinded. He, he didn't have that discernment. He didn't know, uh, didn't see it. And the second thing we find is not only his blindness, his blindness led to burnout. Now we're in Matthew 26. Look down at verse number uh, 36, back at verse 36, and here Jesus is telling them, he's telling Peter and them, he says, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Now this is old fashioned day, right? I, I like that. And, and I, I've got some, you know, you got these Northern friends and some of y'all might be from up North that they make fun of our Southern slang. My wife and I, we were in Virginia a few weeks ago on vacation, and my wife got to looking up. She said, well, honey, we're only an hour and 45 minutes from Washington, D.C. I said, and? 
And she said, why don't we go up there and just walk around Washington? And we've been there before. And I said, have you been hearing some of the things coming out of Washington? Do you really want to go up there where all them people are at? And this kind of being funny. And so we went on. We got up there. We rode the metro into uh, D.C. And we had to get, went to the Museum of the Bible. I don't know if you've been there or not. Great big place. It was a wonderful place. And ate, we just walked around. Went to the White House to see if we could give the president any advice or not. Anyway, and so and while we were coming back. I couldn't find the metro on my, my, my walking up. I couldn't find it. It looked like it was somewhere around there, but we couldn't see it. And so I saw a well-dressed gentleman there, had his tie on. He was standing in some, in front of just some, in, some just uh, um, looked like elevator doors, just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, okay. And I walked up and I said, sir, can you tell me where the metro is? My wife and I are trying to find it. He said, well, actually, that's where I'm going. You can follow me. We've got to get on the elevator, go down. And uh, I'm going there. You can follow. I said, great. So we get on the elevator and the door closes and he's a real nice man. He looks at me and says, I got two guesses of where you're from, Georgia or Alabama. That's what he said. I said, I'm from Georgia. How'd you know that? And uh, he said, because ain't nobody up here. No, he didn't say ain't. Because there's nobody up here that talks like that. Anyway, and so uh, my speech betrayed me, I guess. And so uh, here, but see, I think the Lord, I think he was Southern. Because that's where he says in verse 36, sit here while I go yonder. I'm going yonder to pray. Amen. Amen. And so he says, I'm going yonder to pray. And then by verse 40, four verses later, he comes back and finds Peter snoring, sawing logs. He's asleep. He's out of it. And then he goes and prays some more, comes back and he's still asleep. And so here we find it, man, Peter, he had, uh, he had, he he was just out of, he was burned out. See, burnout happens when you try to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. If you start feeling yourself getting burnt out, it's not God. It's not that you it's not that the Christian life is is too hard. What it, the problem is is you're trying to live it in the energy of the flesh and not in the power of the spirit. We get number 3, letter C. We finally then after his burnout, we finally see him just blaspheming. Look at down at verse number 72 of Matthew 26. And again, he denied with an oath I know not the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. If there's any, anything that ought to, ought to show somebody we're a Christian ought to be the way we talk. Our speech ought to bereath. Amen. And then it says in verse number 74, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Now, I don't know for sure, but I kind of suppose after twice he's tried to tell them, I don't know Jesus, and they keep coming back to somebody, you know, you're with him, you're one of them. I wonder if maybe finally he says, you know what, they don't believe anything else I say, so I'm going to say some things that a Christian wouldn't say. I'm going to say some things that somebody who follows Christ would never say to maybe convince them I'm not with him. And he begins to curse and to swear. Now, listen, I would hope and I believe there's probably nobody here uh, in, in this church that would ever take God's name in vain. I would hope and believe there's nobody here that would take the highest, holiest name, that's a name above every name, and drag it through the mud and use it as a vile curse word and take his name in vain. But can I tell you this? If you claim the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are taking his name. Are you not? You're claiming his name. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. And so if you take the name of Christ 
and yet you don't do what Christ said do, and you don't obey what Christ said to do, are you not still taking his name in vain? You wouldn't use a curse word, but what you're saying is Christianity is really meaningless to me. I can say I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to follow the Christ teachings. You see, he, so here he's blaspheming. And so no wonder we find lastly that he's broken. He's broken. Look at verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. Let me just say something real quick before I get into my finish here. I like that phrase, Peter remembered the word of Jesus. Now, Peter could not remember the words of Jesus had he not already heard them. You can't remember something you've never heard. So the reason he could remember Jesus' words, he had already heard them. And here's my point. That's why as parents, it's so, so important that you keep your children under the preaching of the word of God as often as you possibly can to get it into them. Because one day, one day, uh, hey, it could be the very word of God that keeps them from getting out into the world. But one day, if they choose to rebel against everything they've been taught and they get away from God, it could be the very words of Jesus that he put in there years ago that God can use to come and pull them back to where they need to be. But if they've never been in church, if they don't hear the word of God, what's God going to be able to reach them with? And so Peter here, he remembered the words of Jesus here. You couldn't get as far any further away than where he was at. And yet God was able to use his word to bring back to his remembrance. He was broken. So now the very thing that Jesus said would happen, would happen. The cock crew third time. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Could you imagine the look? Now you guys, if you're married, you already know the look. <laughs> yeah, you know that look you know, when you do something. Your wife looks at you. Better not try that again. I can tell you right now. Yeah, we're bypassing the marriage counseling. We're going to the murder consulting. That's where we're going. And so you you, you know that look. I, now that's not the look I believe Jesus gave. I don't believe when Jesus looked at Peter, he was angry and said, "How dare you." Man, I gave you my time. I, I gave you my, my energy. I, I taught you. I poured into you. How could you do that to me, Peter? You're, you're dead to me. That wasn't the look. In fact, that might have been easier to handle probably, but I believe when Jesus looked at Peter, it was a look of compassion. I believe Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, it happened, didn't it? I told you it would. I, did, did you realize that did, Satan came after you, didn't he? I told you you would, Peter. Did you realize what I told you was true? And so no doubt, after he, after he rejected or denied the Lord that third time, Peter, I mean, he was a passionate man. So I can imagine his emotions were all over the place. I can only imagine him going home. Walks in the door and his wife is sitting there. She didn't have a place prepared because he's usually eating with the disciples maybe and she says, well, honey, what in the world are you doing at home? Aren't you with John and James and all the other guys? Y'all, I thought y'all would be out doing all kinds of stuff tonight. And, and Peter just begins to weep. He says, honey, what you don't understand is I can't be with them anymore. I can't be with them anymore. And she says, what do you mean? What in the world has happened? He says, I've done something I never thought I would do. I mean, when I left here this morning, I was willing to give everything I had to Jesus. And in just a moment of time, I blew it. And he begins to tell her how he denied the Lord. She said, no, surely you didn't do that. He said, I did. But the worst thing is it wasn't just that time. It was another time. And it wasn't just that time. It was a third time. And I denied even knowing him. Can you believe I did that? 
And I can just imagine he's just in a pool of emotions at his table and just weeping and saying, I just cannot, I can't believe. And now I know there was, I don't know this for sure, this isn't in the Bible, but I can assume that it wasn't long after he got home, there was a knock on the door and it was old Satan. So let me come in here and talk to you for a little while, Peter. Kind of got you where I want you. I've been coming after you, and I want to sift you. You see, the devil, when you're at your lowest, the devil wants to take you lower still. And I can imagine him coming in and said, Peter, you have every right to be disgusted because you are disgusting. Peter, I can't believe you did that to him. After all he did for you, he was so good to you, and you turned your back. And he just piled and piled and piled on him. And said, so I'm going to tell you right now, he don't love you anymore. He don't want you anymore. He could care less about you anymore because you showed your true colors tonight. You showed where your loyalty really lies. In fact, I wonder if, if Satan didn't say, by the way, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea to do what your friend Judas did and just hang yourself. Just kill yourself. Just take, you know, can I tell you this? Christians are tempted with suicide as well. Christians can get so depressed if they're not careful. Get away from God to the point where they want to end it all. That's, that's what the devil wants. And so I'm sure he came to him and told him that. Well, what he didn't know is the day after the resurrection, after Jesus was raised from the dead, the women who went to the tomb, they were there because they were going to prepare everything and, and get all the doilies put out and, the, you know, everything. And they had to dress it up, you know. Now, they were all there to see. And all of a sudden, Jesus was not there in the tomb. But there was somebody there. That was the angel. And the angel said to them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And they said, and he left a message for you to go tell his disciples. And here's the message in Mark 16, verse 17, verse 7. He says, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And so he said, I want you to go and tell them. I want you to go tell the disciples, but I especially want you to go tell Peter. I want you to let him know I still love him. I still care for him. I still forgive him. I still want to use him. And I want to see him over on the other side in Galilee with everybody else. And I can imagine, man, I can imagine, boys, Peter's just sitting in a pool of emotions. All of a sudden, a, another knock comes on the door, and he opens the door, and it's the disciples. All of them are there. And they're saying, Peter, we're going to Galilee. Come on with us. And Peter says, no, not me, guys. I, 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 I'm happy for you, and I know, I know you're going to have a great time, and I sure would love to go, but Jesus ain't going to want me to have me there. He's not going to want to see me. He's going to be mad at me, and I don't deserve to even go there. And I can imagine one of them says, but you don't understand, Peter. That angel come and gave a message to the ladies who come and told us that he wants us there. I know he wants you there. But you don't know what I did. They said, no, but he knows what you did. And he told us to make sure he even called you by name. He didn't even call our name. He called you by name and said, you tell Peter that I still forgive him. And I want to see him. I want to restore him. I want to use him for my glory again. Can you imagine what that must have done for Peter? Oh, to realize life's not over with when you fail. Hey, when you sin, when you get away from God, it's an awful thing. But I want to tell you something great. As awful as sin is, restoration is that much greater where God's grace can go greater than your sin is. And I, I, God not only can restore your soul, He can restore your opportunities. Now, Peter lost a lot and it hurt him a lot when he betrayed the Lord. And sin will hurt. But when he got right, 
and he repented and got restored, who do we find preaching over in the book of Acts when 3,000 people are getting saved? Of all people would have thought, well, surely he ain't going to want Peter to preach. Oh, no, that's who God used the most. And, and by the way, by the way, I just thought about this. When he was preaching in his message, he talked to them about you who rejected the Christ, who denied the Christ. Who else could talk about denial any better than Peter can? Peter said, I know what it's like to deny him. I know what it's like to lose everything you've got. But I'm telling you, as much as he loved me, as much as he restored me, he will save you or he will restore you if you'll come to him. Because restoration is possible. Every head bowed.